1: Trial by Content. It's the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the Coliseum of Contentious Opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base, we'll smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four nominee poll that will enter Trial by Content and decide the true answer for. All time, except airplane movies, which I think you guys were wrong about. Hello, I'm Dave Gonzalez. (laughs) I'm Joanna Robinson. (laughs) And I'm Neil Miller. Just when we think we're out of Westeros, they pull us back in. And we're not talking about revisiting House of the Dragon quite yet. This week, we catch up with the careers of people who were on the HBO adaptation series Game of Thrones to find out what they've been up to since exiting the fantasy world by death or the series ending and we'll attempt to decide who had the best post-Game of Thrones career. But first, last week I watched way too many movies taking place on an airplane for our best airplane movie debate to come in last place. Right, Joanna? Tough.
2: (laughs) Really tough. I'm also not pleased with my standing either. All right, so airplane movies. We put them out there. You voted for them. Um, Last, like dead, like dead, like dead last. 2.6% 2.6% of the vote, Dan yeah. Gonzalez with the executive decision. You're wrong. You're all wrong.
0: Yeah. So dead, he's uh, like a plant growing against a wall at this point. Yeah, there's like... That's how dead...
1: <laughs> over 96% of the people are wrong. <laughs>
2: uh, 19.1% of the votes uh, for me, Joanna, Air Force One. I was I got really used to winning, so third place hurts a little, but that's
1: okay. <laughs> oh, no. Um, what, a, what a problem to
0: have.
2: <laughs> 31.6% of the vote. Put the bunny back in the box. It's Con Air. Bernil in second yeah, place.
0: Pretty solid showing for the action crew.
2: Yeah, but number one, like from the jump, it never wavered and a pretty strong lead all along. 46.6% of the vote goes to our listener submission of airplane exclamation mark.
1: So <laughs> Proof that sometimes
0: the best name for the movie is just the thing that the movie the is. The thing. Good, so, good news for plane. We well, yeah, we've solved it for Gerard Butler.
2: <laughs> good news for snakes on a plane. Uh, and I, I just like every week, I love the people who were. I mean, I, I'm not mad about it, but I love the people who respond to the Twitter poll, being like, "We're snakes on a plane." I'm like, we talked about it at, at length. length. If you want to listen to the podcast as well as read the poll on Twitter, you can do that. There are so um, many
1: Passenger 57 fans. I was unaware that people well what I learned is people feel like that movie they feel as like that movie is the best airplane movie. The way I feel Executive Decision is the best airplane movie where like they're both kind of dumb blown out action movies, but uh they people really like it when you kick a bad guy out of the airlock at 30,000 feet.
2: I feel like if you had picked Passenger Fifty Seven over Executive Decision, you would have at least displaced me. Sure, but, but I don't Probably think you
0: were going to catch a nail. Conair vote, though. Yeah,
1: this yeah. is the problem with going what with, with what you think is right instead of what you think is going to win, which is mm. um, always a difficult divide for your three humble hosts. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what we do this week. Hey. Um
2: All right, so this week we're talking about Game of Thrones alum. Why are we talking about Game of Thrones alum? Well. If you've been living under a mushroom covered rock, there is a new show on HBO Sunday night called The Last of Us that stars not one, but two Game of Thrones alums in the like lead, 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 lead. This show is really just them roles. Bella Ramsey played little Leona Mormont and Peter Pascal, who played pansexual Prince Ober Martel, um, are Joel and Ellie in The Last of Us. So that's one hook. But then also, Hooks always like to sort of present themselves out of the blue, out of the sky blue, blue sky. Uh, Mandalorian Season 3, final trailer, came out also this week, starring a Pedro Pascal. Yeah. So, um, in a fairly... Uh, Pedro Pascal gruffly, stoically defends a young, defenseless thing. That's the uh, that's the era where They in. have trouble
0: communicating, for whatever mm. reason. Yeah. yeah,
2: even if they technically speak the same language. Um, so that's what we're gonna talk about today uh, before we get into sort of our debate and some other thro- more throne-centric things. Um, let's just talk with The Last of Us. I actually haven't, as of recording this podcast, I have not yet recorded my podcast about the Last of Us, I don't think you guys have either. So we get to have a fresh little Last of Us discussion. I think both of you guys have played the game. I haven't. So like Neil, as the person who has been most vocal to me about having played the
0: game, how do you feel like episode one stacks up to your gamer fandom? Oh, I mean, I thought it was great. Uh, extremely well executed. First episode, long, 80 minutes. <laughs> it's a long premiere. Um, But I did, there are a couple things I like. One is uh, the show, I watched it late at night with all the lights off because no one else in my house wants to watch it because my description of the video game, I believe, was a little too much Mm. for the folks in my household. (laughs) And everyone's like, maybe not the show. So I watched it alone with my headphones on. And it's great to see the show embracing what I thought was probably one of the most successful elements of the game, which is sound design. Like there's like a lot of really great um elements of creating atmosphere and terror with both silence and sharp sounds and raindrops. And I loved that that element of it. I also think as someone who played the game, it's uh obviously fun to watch the story. I know how the story goes, um, and it's fun to see the the variances of adaptation. It's also fun for me to be able to watch the show and know that in the show there's no way that Joel and Ellie are gonna have to die 25 times every time they encounter a mini boss. <laughs> <laughs> because i love joel miller he's great we, have, we share the same last name uh he's a grumpy grumpy man but i've seen the video game character joel die so many times <laughs> because of a mistake that i made against a zombie and i'm just i'm really loving that i can just watch the show and not have to worry about that part
2: Dave, how do you feel about uh, co-showrunner, creator of the game, uh, Neil Druckmann, uh, saying, don't call it a zombie show? Uh, Do you feel like it has all the hallmarks of
1: a zombie show? Do you think he's being silly? How do you feel about that? No, I'm fine with that because I think, uh, well, definitely with this first episode, uh, the zombies are sort of secondary after our um, opening sequence and then it becomes much more a... Station 11 uh, post-apocalypse uh, through gen- generic disease. Uh, and the problems on this show are people, uh, like with a lot of different post-apocalypse shows. So at least from what we've seen so far, uh, it's not extremely a zombie show. That being said, we have learned at the end of the first episode that apparently Ellie has some sort of immunity, and she definitely has a uh, bite mark on her so I imagine we're going to have to go through some more zombie stuff before we get out on the other side to our uh, character piece. But I am uh, very excited by how this uh, television series is managing to not be ashamed of being a video game adaptation and using some of the tension-building points of the video game or even perspectives uh, that appeared in the video game and just sort of... uh, making it fantastic cinema, like sitting in the back of a truck uh, trying to drive out of uh, Texas uh, is pretty great. I don't all, all the way to the ending sequence where you're trying to sneak around uh, different spotlights. Uh, once you've got outside the, the wall uh, are all very video game accurate. And it's instead of trying to like find a way around it or to blow up video game confrontations to a gigantic size, which uh, I think something like Paul W. Sanderson's Resident Evil series did, where it's like, we'll take the conflicts and we'll make it cinematic. Uh, this one manages to stay much closer uh, to the game. So I'm hoping that uh, maintains, because although I did not play The Last of Us, I did watch oh, an en- okay. I-, I watched an entire playthrough of The Last of Us, because when it came out, people were like, this game's so cinematic, the narrative's great, don't let anyone tell you the ending. And so I'm not going to be the person that uh, tells you that ending, but it is. Thanks, Dave. Extru- <laughs> yeah, you're, you're welcome. And I th- you should at least be able to get to do one deep dive Last of Us podcast before I spoil it for you. Um, okay. But yeah, it's uh, it's very heartening uh, that the uh, producers, the, the writers, the maker of the game is uh, co-EP on this uh, to shepherd it through. Uh, along with Maison, who's going to be able to make it some hopefully good television. I'm very encouraged by this first episode and extremely encouraged by people that have b- been able to watch ahead uh, for review copies. And just everything's glowing. There isn't a person I know that has actually watched The Last of Us that is not dug part of The Last of Us. Are you most heartened by the fact
2: that David Ehrlich likes it? <laughs> uh, no, because David I think Ehrlich, he our would. Pal, if you listen to this and you don't know, David, Ehrlich, our pal David Ehrlich it does play video games. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. but is also probably the snobbiest friend we have, right? In terms of, like, things to watch. And so the fact that, like, David Ehrlich is not turning his nose up at this.
1: It is encouraging. I don't put a lot of work as a longtime friend of and collaborator of David Ehrlich. He's not, he doesn't have the the Midas touch specifically for me, but I am always heartened that it's going to be less of an uphill battle uh, because... David Ehrlich makes very good arguments. I don't think he makes the best counter-arguments for further discussion. Uh, so, yeah. David Ehrlich, not going to be a trial-by-content host uh, anytime wow, in the future. Shots <laughs> fired at David Ehrlich
2: on trial-by-content. Okay, I want to ask you something about the cinematic um angle of it, Neil, because this is your milieu. Um, the, so, Craig Mazin, who, you know, EP Chernobyl, a show that I really liked, um... Wrote an episode of Mythic Quest that I think is one of the best things that I've ever seen. But he's not a director. He's got three directing credits, two sub very subpar movies, and then this premiere. Um, and he like basically what happened is they had a director, they dropped out, they had another director, they dropped out. And so Craig is like, okay, I guess I'll do it, right? Um, so he's not historically a visual guy. How did you think this looked visually? I understand that like, especially like the, the truck escape, which is very close to the truck escape that happens in the game. um, We're trying to capture a sort of video game excitement aesthetic, but I've heard from some people who are saying like, most people love this, but if some people are critiquing it, they're critiquing like maybe the visuals don't feel as like elevated as they might. Or if you compare, if you compare that truck escape to the last of us, the video game, you're like, that's great. But if you compare that Truck Escape to something like Children of Men, you're like, that's not the level we're talking about here. So like visually or visual flair-wise, how did this feel to you, Neil?
0: I mean, I think there are moments uh, in the premiere that feel the most cinematic and it's like those are the exact ones from the video game. So the task really was just like recreate those action sequences because those are already really good. There are some, you know, some of the like... When they're moving around the Boston quarantine zone, starts to feel a little TV aesthetic. It starts to feel a little small, but then I had a to keep at,
2: Atlanta backlot. Yeah, a so. little Atlanta backlot,
0: yeah. um, which you know is fine. Also, it's you know it's going to take us a little while to acclimate to a world in which you know in in world of the Last of Us there are so many fewer people. So I think you can kind of get away with it. I think it's really good. There's, there were elements that I was looking for, right? The, the chaos of the, the truck escape sequence, the, um, I wanted to see sort of a tactile nature to whenever they started showing the, the infected and like the advanced infected and the flowering and stuff like that, which I thought was great. I, the other thing I really loved that made me feel like the video game were a lot of the tight following shots that are just, it's not an over-the-shoulder following shot of Joel walking through a hallway. It's like Pedro Pascal's shoulders, center frame, and we're just kind of following him around a corner. And they didn't, he didn't do it a lot in this first episode, but every once in a while, I'm like, that is one of the things I remember very specifically from the game. There's a lot of really great transitions where you're following Joel, and you like go through a door, you duck under something, you come out, and it's this big sort of cinematic reveal. So I feel like there's hints of that in the premiere. That down the road we're gonna get some of those really cool, right behind Joel seeing something, you know, uh, grand, so, sort of like that final shot of Boston in the lightning, where you see the two buildings leaning against each other, and it's like, oh, right. We're establishing that you know, nature is sort of coming back in this world 20 years later. So I thought a lot of that stuff was great. And I don't know, I think the toughest part, and Craig Mason's probably suited very well for this as a writer, is structurally, how do you break down The Last of Us Part 1 into a, a nine episode season television? I was surprised, again, by the length of the first episode, but then I wasn't surprised by all the stuff they got into it. And where they ended it, it felt that that to me felt right after watching it.
2: So originally, and uh, you know, we haven't really gotten into like the the nitty gritty of the plot. So I will just right now issue a spoiler warning for the premiere episode of The Last of Us. But <laughs> um, initially, that was going that was two episodes, and they were going to cut it with the flash, the jump forward in time not a flash forward, but a jump forward in time. And um, with Joel uh, dropping that kid's body in the in the fire and sort of end there. And HBO's like, what if, again, spoiler alert for The Last of Us, HBO's like, what if we don't end with two dead
1: kids?
0: <laughs> well, and, and how do you... <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I don't know if that was it. What if it, it's
1: like, what if we introduce the other main characters? Yeah, yeah. in if, the series the
2: But Well, if Bella Ramsey's... No, I mean, they did say we don't want two dead kids, but they probably also <laughs> were like, we'd also like Bella Ramsey Ellie to sure. be here as well. Right. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: because yeah, the tough part um, about, you know, The Last of Us uh, adapting it into episodic television is that there's an addictive quality of that game where if you had 30 hours to sit there and play it straight, you really could. Like the game just keeps going and keeps giving you, you know, more more stuff to investigate, more stuff to do and there aren't as many easy stopping points in the in the story so uh i'm i'm going that's one thing i'm going to be tracking is like what are they trying to squeeze into which episodes
2: trying to scroll through i mean it may. i once you think about it, it makes sense like and the rest of the this is a long episode right it's like 80 minutes episode 3 which i haven't seen i haven't seen beyond episode 1 i'm trying to be really good and watch week to week, but like episode three is about 70-ish minutes and that's the episode that a lot of people say like is when the show really got going for them is episode three. Um, but if you think about it, if this had been too up, you know, it makes more... Ordinary for us to have a ten episode season, then a nine episode season, right? So they smoosh the first two episodes together, and then we've got a nine episode, and the rest of the episodes that aren't one and three are like forty to fifty minutes long. And I think it's interesting. I was I was uh, poking around Reddit this morning on the Last of Us boards, just trying to see like what the real what the real fans think, <laughs> the real um, hardcore gamers, us. yeah, like the ones who really get it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And one of the things they pointed out that I that like didn't fully occur to me is that when at the beginning, after the truck crashes, when Tommy and Joel and Sarah get separated and Tommy's like, you go to the river, I can't possibly get to you. And we're all looking at it. And we're like, I think you could, though. I think I like the trucks on fire. I still think you could get to them, but like it's one of those sort of slightly forced video game esque separations of like, you know, I'll meet you up at the river. Can't sort have of too many NPCs moments. with
0: you at any one point. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. What you have to remember though is that Joel and Tommy, especially at that point, they're just they're dumbasses. So <laughs> it never <laughs> surprises me that Tommy can't figure it
2: out. <laughs> <laughs> they're just guys doing things. They got Sarah to take care of them sure. and that's that's what's going on and then they don't. They okay. just work too um, hard. Dave. Yeah. What if I told you that a hitherto slightly unknown, deep and abiding and elemental and primal fear of mushrooms has been awoken in me? (laughs) And I literally, while I was watching the screener for episode one, grasped my own hand to the point of like, like crushing it. I was like so stressed out by the what they're calling mouth tendrils mm-hmm. um Dave how do you feel about the fungus aspect of the last of us
1: I uh, think it's really smart it's not a uh, spore base like it was in the game so there's a new uh angle to look at uh, this one's much more visual specifically at the beginning when grandma is pulling away from someone she's snacking on Ugh. you see the uh infected mushroom tendrils uh snap Ugh. off and go into the mom so when Ugh. you're being bit <laughs> It's not like a zombie saliva or anything like that. It is literally putting an organism inside so of upset. you, and we also got that uh non video game sequence with that intro uh nineteen sixty eight yes. interview to sort that of was set. actually
2: my favorite part of the premiere was the uh nineteen sixties intro Go ahead. yeah it
1: sets it sets the uh the stakes. Uh, and then also, uh, it sort of yada yadas over why COVID is not happening uh, isn't happening and why <laughs> it's not as, uh, as as dangerous to us as if these uh, fungi were to uh, become basically zombie fungi. But uh, a lot of really cool information there about how uh, once it's infected inside of you, it just slowly starts eating you. So maybe you, we've got to be looking at appetite. Uh, for future infectees, um, and then sort of how uh, also with that um, grandmother, uh, she was wheelchair-bound, and we didn't necessarily know why, but then she is very spry when she is infected. So we've, we're learning some rules about this uh, smart fungus. But if you are interested in uh, more horror fungus, I think it's like episode two. Oh,
2: I'm not. Okay, go ahead.
1: <laughs> episode two of uh NBC's Hannibal has a killer that is putting bodies mm, in a fungus that patch uh because but that he thinks- was different
2: that was different because they're dead and then the like mushrooms and are dry fungus. I saw that episode right it's not like a
1: fungus is coming for you have you ever had have you, you have a like- parasite uh problem then less than like a fungus problem like ringworm but and both. stuff that's probably well yeah
2: but like why not both because like uh this is not I just find the concept of spores really upsetting. I know we're not dealing with spore-based spread in this Mm -hmm. show, but spores really freak me out. But, like, have you ever uh, had a fern in your house? Like a fern that you've cared for? Oh, no. Oftentimes, ferns will put out these, like, tendrils where they will try to, like, reach for things. And, like, they will shoot little... Grabby tendrils into, like, if you have another plant next to it, they will shoot a tendril out and try to, like, get into that plant's dirt. It's upsetting. That's what I'm saying. Like, plants are creepy sometimes, and mushrooms, especially. So, I decided through the run of The Last of Us, I'm going to exert my dominance over mushrooms by eating as. Thank you. Carlos agrees um, <laughs> with me. By eating as many mushroom dishes as I possibly can to I just like sort that. of like show uh, that I'm boss. Yeah, no, right? I like that angle on <laughs> it.
1: You conquer the thing that, yeah. you know, I it's much better than something like, uh, once I figured out that octopi were smart, I stopped eating like octopus. You just have to do the opposite. Once you realize fungus are so close to dominating us, you I'm just eat, put all, my eat them all.
2: Foot on their necks and <laughs> eat them. Um yeah, I had I had mushrooms over polenta the other night and I felt Good about my place in the food chain. All right. Um,
0: you're I, like you're not going to turn me into a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> <I'll> get you
2: <laughs> by putting, ingesting you. Maybe my logic <laughs> is flawed there. Um. Okay, anything else you want to say about the premiere episode of The Last Us?
1: Looking forward to it. Looking yeah. forward to it's, the rest of it. The I'm reason pumped. we should
2: say a good reason to not make the the fungus plague spore spreadable is so that you don't have to put your main characters in masks
0: sure. because in the game... Is that, and is that something they've said that they're not going to do?
2: Yeah, in the game everyone but Ellie has to wear a mask and it's a whole thing like Ellie's immune so she doesn't have to wear a mask, blah, blah. Um, they're not doing that and so we all get to look at Peter Pascal's face as opposed to a, a stunt double and a helmet <laughs> and Peter Pascal's voice, which brings us to The Mandalorian Season 3 final trailer. Hey! Um, in which Din Djarin has to atone for having taken off his helmet thrice ever in case on you're a show. fan
1: of the mandalorian <laughs> and not a fan of anybody else wearing mandalorian armor you might have missed that in the middle episodes of the book of boba fett grogu came back <laughs> so don't yeah. worry about the end of season two of the mandalorian that as much. emotional
2: painful separation uh it's it's the definition of of musty tv if you didn't watch book of boba fett it's okay. You really only
1: need to watch like two episodes of Book of yeah. Boba Fett. I watch just think that thing. the funniest thing is that the biggest consequences from that episode apparently was he took off his helmet. And I'm like, oh, okay.
2: <laughs> but then he got in trouble with the armor and I, don't, I wouldn't want to piss off the armor. Yes, yeah, so. religious but again, trouble. All of, all of that happened in a show called Book of Boba Fett. Um, Neil, what are you most looking forward to season 3 of The Mandalorian? Once again starring allegedly starring Pedro Pascal at, ver- at the very least his voice. Sure.
0: Well, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to actually spending time with The Mandalorian himself and uh and Grogu. I'm honestly it's more like keep de-aged Mark Hamill out of season 3, please, and I'll be happy. They can <laughs> they can make all kinds of mistakes and as long as they don't de-age uh, have a dH Luke Skywalker, I think I'll be okay at this point with the Mandalorian. <laughs>
2: uh, Dave, you want to tell the folks what you think is the most important part of the Mandalorian Season 3 final trailer?
1: I mean, I like that they, we have some more Babu Frick and then a, a salacious B-Crumb sort of uh, monster. I like the little creature things. Uh, I like it when they're cute. Uh, I'm psyched Grogu's force pushing things out of his way again. I just don't Care about the Mandalorians as a race. <laughs> uh, and like, there it's a t- t- uh, tough
2: beat for a show called The Mandalorian. I know,
1: I know. It's it, well, it's called The Mandalorian, so I thought we'd stick with him, but apparently he's not officially a Mandalorian. Or maybe at least the title card will be like The Mandalorians. Mandalorians,
0: plural now. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, <yeah. laughs>
1: Why not? Uh, but yeah, so to catch up, and with the what
2: S we- is just a dollar sign. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Love that. Uh, what uh, where what where we're at as far as I could recall with the Mandalorian is he has the dark saber. So a certain sect of Mandalorians thinks that he has become the uh, necessary leader of Mandalore. But another sect he's, of Mandalorians, is the Toruk
0: motto of, of Mandalore. It's an yes. Avatar joke. <laughs> I'm keeping yeah, it cultural good, relevance. It's a
1: good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And then there's another part sect of the Mandalorians, which is the ones that raised him, which are basically like fundamentalists, and they don't care if he has the darksaber or not because he took off his helmet. And now the only way to fix it is to... Atone. Atone for himself, to cleanse himself in something under the wrecked city of... Mandalore, And it appears from this new third trailer, we're going to be spending time with a lot of different Mandalorians. Looks like maybe some Death Watch looking people come back. Uh, maybe some people from the Clone Wars series. All's well and good, except I don't, I don't care.
2: Wow. Well, I will, <laughs> I will text my friend Katie Sackoff and tell her you don't give a shit about Bo-Katan and... Then we'll go back in time and tell Dave of the past that he said he disrespected Katie Sackhoff that way, and we'll see what happens. Do you think it's because
0: I haven't watched a lot of the Star Wars cartoons that I do care about the Mandalorians that I'm like, yes, give me the Mandalorian lore, teach me about the helmets, what is the way? I mean, that might be it, because... There are good
1: Mandalorian plot lines, especially one in the Clone Wars and one in Rebels where I was like invested in what was going to happen with Mandalore. But this is like the third time they've tried to get me invested in what's happening in Mandalore. And in between those previous two times and this one was Book of Boba Fett, which was just like, hey, I'm not a Mandalorian, but I do have this armor. Everything you thought you knew about me, fucking wrong. Boba Fett.
2: The thing that I'm most concerned, I mean, like, I'm sure I'm going to have a great time with Mandalorian. It's a show that I like. I'm really excited to podcast about it on the Ringaverse. Excited to talk to Mallory about it. The thing that I'm a little worried about, and this is actually a thing that impacted my enjoyment of The Last of Us a little bit as well, is how much I loved Andor. (laughs) And... And like once the possibility of what you do with the Star Wars has been blown as wide as they did on Andor to come back to the Mandalorian, which when it first aired, felt like they were pushing on the boundaries of what you could do with Star Wars, but has since gotten safer and safer as they like include Luke Skywalker, et cetera, like all that sort of stuff like that. But uh, watching the trailer, I was like, this all looks so shiny and clean and I miss my like gritty Andor. And similarly, like The Last of Us, um, it's not a one-to-one comparison, but they're, you know, with the Fireflies, which come into the second half of the premiere, and we've got the character of Marlene, who's talking about the nature of rebellion, and I'm like, this is fine, but it's not bars. It's not Luther, It's not Tony Gilroy. It's not Bo Williman, sure. Like, you know, it's not what I got used to at the end of last year, so, um... You know, she said something about like rebellion just being spray paint. I'm like, that's a good line. But in the Andor, or <laughs> every line was that line. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think the difference is like The Last of Us still has time to give us more of that stuff. Whereas I don't know if I believe The Mandalorian can do it. Like The Mandalorian, I think Dave might be right in the end uh, that The Mandalorian probably works better as like, you know, reluctant stepdad Ronin, traveling Ronin story than political drama about the Mandalorians.
2: The Ringerverse is doing an episode on Friday that's all about the lone wolf and cub trope. Mm -hmm. um, Or what our pal Kim Renfro decided to call reluctant daddies. Um, So, you know, if you're listening to this and you don't listen to the Ringerverse, that's going to be a really (laughs) fun episode on Friday. I suggest that you
0: tune in. That is, uh, honestly, a huge impact of the recent, you know, probably decade of video games. Uh, The rise of dadcore, which is like stuff... Stuff about dads and reluctant dads and father figures that have to protect little things, children, Grogu's, whatever you got.
2: <laughs> Love that. You know what? One of my favorite examples of that is the Hound and Arya on Game of Thrones,
0: which brings mm-hmm. us to hey.
2: what we're doing today. Neil, take it away. Yeah,
0: we're, we're going to be deciding who has had the best post-Game of Thrones career. Uh, let's say so far... Because most of these people uh, are still with us and actively working and doing their thing, uh, but I got a couple of warm-up prompts before we get into the, this one. Uh, the first one, we're you know we we covered House of the Dragon uh, not long ago, uh, Game of Thrones spinoff. Some of the folks who did Game of Thrones behind the scenes ended up working on that, but we wanted to call our shot. Who do you, from the cast of House of the Dragon do you think will have the biggest breakout and may win this award when we do that debate in? I don't know, however many years. Uh but I I will start. I'm taking one of the eggs, egg egg two point five, uh Tom Glencarney, <laughs> uh, who plays adult uh Egon the Second, who is the the, I guess, one of the antagonists of our 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 heroic incestuous Targaryen clan. Uh yeah, I think this role, Tom Glenn Carney, first of all, very fun in season one, even in some fairly limited screen time, and I think you know, having red fire and blood, that character uh is going to is really go one of two ways. It's either going to be a really fun, great character that's going to launch a huge career, or Tom Glenn Carney will have earned a long vacation after House of the Dragon ends. So we'll <laughs> uh, we'll see either way. Uh, Joanna, do do you have any eggs in your basket?
2: Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> it feels dumb to vote against Olivia Cook or Emma Darcy, but like something that we will get into in our conversation today is like sometimes the like big lead actors are the ones who have the big or the most trouble breaking away because they become so closely identified with that character. You know what I mean? And so that's possibly a trap waiting for Olivia Cook or Emma Darcy. But um uh, and Matt Smith has already like Matt Smith feels like cheating because he's already done. You know, he's sure. already been a whole last feel that
0: way about Doctor Olivia Who. Cook. Like it's like she's already a pretty big name. <laughs> I don't know.
2: She wasn't a household name before House of the Dragon. She wasn't like on film Twitter. She was like ever since Meera and the Dying Girl, it was like Olivia Cook. But like <laughs> right? I don't, I don't even think the Ready Player One fans could have told you what Olivia <laughs> Cook's name was. Um. <laughs> But to go back to eggs and baskets, uh, if, he, if Neil has <laughs> egg 2.5, I've got egg 2.0, uh, which is Ty Tennant, um, David Tennant's son, adopted, but who cares? It's his son. And um, son of Georgia Moffat, uh, grandson of Peter Moffat, another actor who's played Doctor Who. So this is like Nepo babies all the way down, uh, if you want to <laughs> put it that way. But It's a whole Nepo I thought, tree. I thought Ty was so good. In his couple episodes. And I would like... I'm curious to see, like, what else he can do that is not, like, shithead extraordinaire. But in terms of, like, shitheads, like, he's one of my favorite all-time Throne shitheads. And that's, like, stiff competition in the shithead category of of Throne's. Um, Tom Glyn Carney, I should just say, uh, for Neil's pick, I just saw him in SAS Rogue Heroes, a show that I could not possibly recommend any higher. Um, just incredible, incredible show, which also features another Thrones alum that we're going to talk about in a second. But Tom Glyn carney does something so different from Egg Two Point Five. He's like fun and like charming and loose and like rambunctious. So like it really, like his range is already quite apparent. I love um, that for him. Good old Egg Two Point Five. Dave, Dave, this is Dave. This is a sausage fest. Do you have anything to add to this? Uh. I do. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, the top two female leads uh, who are embroiled in a conflict that will take several more seasons of House of the Dragon. You're right. It's risky to bet on them, I think. But I'm going to take uh, a younger version uh, of Amelia Cook as Emily Carey, who uh, was fantastic as a young Alicent, Uh, really, I think, also managed the uh, social and media reaction uh, to the world, deciding if her character was inherently evil or not. Um, uh, I think that she has a future ahead of her, should she transition into either more TV or to film, uh, that hopefully it will open up uh, after being Queen Allison. But uh, unlike a lot of the younger stars on Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon has cut a lot of its younger stars loose to fly and not be held down uh, or Chomped by uh Vagar while they're trying to take off
2: little baby Luke.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So that's that those are the House of the Dragon. I also want to do a warm up prompt where we talk about behind-the-scenes Game of Thrones talent, because this there's a list uh that that's fairly interesting. This is also inspired by uh Greg Spence, whose name popped up in the Last of Us credits. He was longtime post-production supervisor for Game of Thrones. I think on the first seven seasons. Uh, so when I saw his name, I was like, hey, Greg Spence, good for you. Keep, keep getting those checks. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the question is, which behind-the-scenes talent do you think? I will, I will start with someone who directed one of my favorite movies of last year, which is Mark Mylod, who has directed a bunch of episodes of Succession uh, to, to much success and joy. Uh, and then uh, directed The Menu last year. And I'm uh, I'm a I was a huge fan of the menu, but uh, but there's a bunch of them. Uh, I made a little list here. Which are, which of these do you guys like, Dave? You want?
1: Oh yeah, I mean uh, we got uh, friend of the pod Paula Fairfield up here, uh, who's managed to uh, do some fantastic sound design. Uh, most recently on, like, Rings of Power, but uh, she's going to be working, apparently, on the Perry Jenkins Lion King sequel, which, <laughs> you know, if there's one thing I absolutely trust uh, Paula with, it's uh, roars dictating something about the character that is roaring. So go get it, Paula.
0: And also Jungle Sounds. Paula did a yes. lot of great work on Lost back in the That's day.
1: That's
0: correct. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, Joanna, do you have a favorite game uh, behind-the-scenes Thrones talent that you're tracking?
2: This is easy for me. Um, Nina Gold, who was the casting director on Game of Thrones, also the casting director on all the recent Star Wars... No, most of the recent Star Wars properties. Um, And then she... So she was the casting director on... Bad Sisters and or and Slow Horses, which are like three of my favorite shows that happened last year, and so like oftentimes if you're watching if you're watching a show or a film and you're like this cast is incredible, and or why are there so many Game of Thrones alums in this cast? <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Odds are Nina Gold is the casting director on that project. Um, she didn't do House of the Dragon. She was not the casting director on House of the Dragon. Um. But uh, and I regret to inform you, she was the casting director on *Jurassic World Dominion*. But um, I mean, you know, that's the she, uh, that's not her fault. Yeah, I mean, there was it's like also a pretty eight good characters cast. that were
1: grandfathered into that <laughs> cast. Uh, yeah. Uh,
2: but if you're wondering why there's so many Game of Thrones alums and Catherine called Birdie, um, that's because Nina Gold was the casting director on that film. Um, last night in Soho, Morbius, couple Matt Smith joints there. Uh, so you know, um. <laughs> I don't think any of those things are her fault, but yes. um, Matt Smith might jump. be her
1: fault,
0: but, uh, yeah. Wait. Yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> so yeah, I like that one. Nina gold always thriving. Uh, all right. So let's get into uh, the, the, the debate du jour which is your choice uh, for best post-Game of Thrones career must be a member of the cast of Game of Thrones, the HBO series that aired from 2011 to 2019. <laughs> uh, we will, of course, have our picks. Then we will consider and debate your suggestions. Now, here is a list of, of uh, ones that are not going to make the debate. And we'll start with category crown, uh, Bella Ramsey, who we we've, we've, we're giving the crown because... Uh, you know, she's still in the burgeoning breakout of her career, right? She did Catherine Cold Birdie*, but also is doing quite a lot with very little screen time on Thrones, right? Liana Mormont showed up, was awesome, and then went away and came back, uh, right there at the very end to be awesome again. So, uh, and then I, die. Yeah. And then, you know, but, uh, she made it. Uh, most of the way, and uh, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing what she does with with Ellie. So uh, that's that's our category crown for the week, Bella Ramsey. We love to see it. Um, I actually have a tie for my category clown. We t- we had talked in prep about uh, checking in on the Weiss and Benioff, uh, and the question for our this is for our listeners is: Can you name more than one Weiss and Benioff project since Thrones? I know Joanna can, but I don't know if everyone has seen, what are they again, Joanna? Uh, Metal, Lords of Metal, Metal Lords.
2: I think it's Lords of Metal, but it could be Metal Lords. And then the, the chair,
0: the chair, and And then, and then
2: coming up three body problems, three body
0: problems. So we've, we've sort of lost touch with, with Mr. Amanda, Pete, David Benioff and, Uh (laughs) and his buddy, Dan Weiss.
2: The, the chair wasn't bad. It just like sort of was, do you know what I mean? Like Sandra O is great. It, It was. It was like a lot of the
0: Netflix shows that are like pretty good and then they're sort of in and out of our system culturally. Yeah.
2: I'm not holding on to anything from the chair. Um, The uh, Lords of Metal, Metal Lords, (laughs) I don't know, was not good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I resisted it for some... D.B. Weiss is a huge like metal fan. That's why so many like metal groups like had cameos stuff like that he was like forever jamming with people on his guitars like that so like this is clearly like a weiss passion project um and it's got a good cast of youngsters but it just wasn't interesting at all and like it was one of those things that netflix like every time i logged in netflix they're like we really think you like this and i was like <laughs> i do like a coming-of-age film like you can almost always get me on that netflix but there's a reason i'm not watching this one finally i was like fine I will watch it and then I was like it wasn't it wasn't great um, but anyway we'll see what they do with Three Body Problem a lot of people are very excited about that um, not without its own controversies uh, poor one out for confed- confederate that
0: never uh, materialized <laughs> yes poor for one better. out for
2: Confederates. <laughs> <laughs> poor one out for their Star Wars that they never got to do sure you know
0: yeah. Um, so yeah, there you have it. A little update on Weiss and Benioff corner. My my runner up slash personal one for category clown is The Witcher season two for being the reason why Christopher Hayview, who played Tormund Giants Bane, had to shave his beard. It was not <laughs> worth it <laughs> <laughs> for me personally, but beards do grow back, so that one's not. <laughs> not as bad as Weiss and Benioff's quarter billion dollar Netflix deal. Um, all right, so a list of pretrial dismissals, and then we can get into the debate. Uh, we have at the very top Jack Gleason, who we have not heard a lot from. And this, I hinted at uh, potential Tom Glenn Carney needing a vacation after House of the Dragon. And I feel like Jack Gleason, who played Joffrey Baratheon, is a good example of that. <laughs>
2: Our pal Kim Renfro was at the like official Game of Thrones convention that they had, and Ooh. Jack Leeson was there, and she said he was like absolutely delightful. He recently got married. Um, I know that he I think he went and got like a master's in math in mathematics in maths because he's British. Um, I think that's what Jack Leeson did. And he was also doing like puppetry theater, mealy post-thrones. <laughs> like it was cool. Like Jack Leeson wasn't like put me in a Star Wars or a Marvel movie. He's like, I'm gonna go live my life. Be (laughs) Jack
1: Leeson. And is by all accounts so nice. Yeah. Which really, really has him in winning for being the winner. Uh, although I think if the winner of this debate, his best post-game of Thrones career, the people who just gave up, uh, I think that sets a weird precedent. <laughs> <a weird, laughs>
0: but you know, potentially uh, that could yeah, be the reason yeah. why they win. You never know. Not, not wrong. Uh, some other folks uh, we haven't heard too much. Alexander Siddig, who we just hope goes back to Star Trek. Uh, I do people even remember that he was on Game of Thrones, or have we memory hold all of Dorne?
2: No, of course I I, rem- I get mad every time I think about how they <laughs> wasted Alexander. Remember when she was like, "Men like you will right. never rule Dorne again," and we were like, "Why are you? Why are you wasting an actor? work side excited to be here and mm-hmm. like ruining a character we really liked." I hate it. Okay.
0: Yeah, and uh, speaking of characters who played characters or <laughs> act- actors who played characters in Dorne, we have Jessica Henwick, who is really fun in the background of Glass Onion. And was in a Star Wars, but uh, the Gray Man was terrible.
2: She's really good in the in the Matrix. I liked her in 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 a not great Matrix movie. She's yeah. also
0: pretty good in a pretty bad Iron Fist show. I, she's it's real mixed work with Jessica Henwick. But she wants to bring that her. character
1: back, and you know it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility. Given the not multiverse you Finn saga. Jones, not, you Finn, but... not <laughs> you Finn Jones, Finn Jones
0: also dismissed. Um, and then Ros- Rosabel Laurenti Sellers, who's in Willow but uh, we'll, we'll always uh, bring to mind her one famous line from Game of Thrones. You know the one. Uh, <laughs> we also... Some, some slightly more successful ones. Natalie Emanuel, who is in the Fast and Furious franchise and The Imitation. She deserves only nice things after the way Miss Sandy got done dirty there at the end of Thrones. So only nice things for Natalie Emanuel. We have uh, Joseph Quinn, who I had to be reminded was in Game of Thrones... Uh, who later went on to play Eddie Munson in Stranger Things after playing a Winterfell guard? We got John Bradley. Yeah. He figured out that the moon is a hollow megastructure in Moonfall
1: <laughs> last mm-hmm. year. That's and where Regan gets you.
0: Friends, he was right. Um, so John Bradley continued doing Roland in Emmerich films. Um, we have Maisie Williams, who has not done a lot of uh, acting, but a lot of business, opening a lot of businesses, and has her own movie podcast, which you know we have to respect this podcast which i does. learned about this morning and yeah, we'll be an listening to we got to got to try that one out <laughs> uh and then we mentioned uh, game of thrones folks ending up in star wars thanks to Nina Gold Thomas Brody. Sangster is another good one Jojen Reed he was uh, in the background of one of those star wars he was also in the queen's gambit been doing pretty well um but you know also chilling. I, I would be chilling if I had Game of Thrones residual checks, if if we're being honest here. um. And then we have this last one. Oh, no, wait, we have two more. Alfie Allen, who Joanna, you already talked to us about the SAS Rogue Heroes. He's also in this. But
2: Yeah, what's really important about Alfie Allen and SAS Rogue Heroes is that he has a jaunty mustache. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> it's phenomenal. He's really good. That show is so good. Please watch it.
0: Okay. Yep. Uh and then our final this is a sort of subcategory of dismissals that is Peter Dinklage, Lena Headey and Kit Harington and Amelia Clark who have done some stuff right? I mean Peter Dinklage very famously uh is in Marvel stuff
2: not as much as we would have expected them to have done.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean for for Dinklage I feel like he actually does work fairly slowly like in his, even before Thrones he was sort of choosy about his stuff he would only do like you know maybe a movie every year or two Well
2: I mean the question is like how choosy is Peter Dinklage and how limited are the roles that Hollywood is offering Peter Dinklage In
1: 2004 before I was uh, when I was on my way to college at NYU to be a screenwriting major I was friends with somebody who is now Governor of Colorado, but his name is Jared Polis. And he was like, if you are interested in um, screenwriting, you should take a look at this screenplay I'm trying to get produced. Uh, it is called The Dwarf, and we've attached an actor named Peter Dinklage. This is in 2004. I read an article to prepare for this debate. Peter Dinklage is still attached to The Dwarf.
0: Wow. <laughs> oh, man.
1: So, like, <laughs> he, he, I, I co-signed Neil Miller's... He works, but it t- sometimes it takes him a while. I mean,
2: Cyrano was a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah you know? he was good in that, yeah. That was a thing that existed. Um, He's in Love Avengers Thunder, Endgame. <laughs>
0: Sure. Yeah, he keeps Te- showing up in those Thor movies.
2: <laughs> oh, that's what he's going to be in that I'm like, why? He's in the Transformers movie and he's in The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes.
1: <laughs> ah, great. Some
0: uh- more franchise work. Peter Jinklish has finally reached his vacation home era. I love that for him. <laughs> but uh, and, and Lena Headey, we, we we noted as we were preparing, Lena Headey has done a ton of voice work um, she has done a couple of movies, but you know i I do think that there was an an element for the folks that stayed till the end, right? Their characters had to get all the way to the end of season eight where there had to be some burnout, right? I mean, we've heard the stories about Amelia Clark and how difficult shooting Game of Thrones was for her, so it's 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 okay that she it did a couple of like Netflix holiday movies, and that's about it
2: that's. Not- no, her her holiday movie was a theatrical release. Thank you very much. <laughs> it wasn't good and it should have been a Netflix movie, but it wasn't a Netflix movie. Um, Kid Harrington did go to like rehab, but I also saw him uh, on stage in London in True West. And he was actually quite good in that. Um, And then he was quite boring in The Eternals. So, you know. Well, to be fair,
1: that was all to set up some other movie that he's going to be in probably in the Allegedly, future. Sure. Allegedly.
0: Allegedly. <laughs> we'll see. If he doesn't get sucked <laughs> back into the Game of Thrones universe too hard. Uh, right. Uh, I mean,
2: yeah. he, he's possibly going to just be snowing it up, you know what I mean, for the rest of his life. Amelia does not have that available to her. Uh, spoiler alert for the end of Game of Thrones. There will be no Daenerys spinoff. There's Lena um, But Amelia is going to be in Secret Invasion. So she could have a longer Marvel future if that works out better for her. Yeah,
1: we all want the Black Knight to eventually get romantically involved with the Skrull in like three years. That's what people want.
2: That is not what I want.
0: <laughs> Honestly, they'd be better off just being like, haha, ha, Daenerys is still alive.
2: <laughs> I want Kit to do more comedy. That's what he's good at. And I really hate, I hate that he's been like doing these stoic roles when he's, Genuinely hilarious.
0: Yeah.
1: At least Can't we bypassed action, right? That was what Pompeii or whatever sure. it was. Pompeii
0: solved that one for Kit Herrington, yeah. which we got we him can out appreciate. of that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so those are all the folks that are not going to make the debate for various reasons, which I think Dave is means it's time to start talking about the real options here.
1: Time to start uh the listeners won the poll last week, but coming in the highest of our three hosts is Neil. so Neil, I know you just did a whole bit, but guess guess who's on who's kicking off our actual debate yeah, give it give give Joanna a break from starting the debate lets see <laughs> oh, yeah, she feels so weird after not being first for so many weeks All right.
0: yeah, well, and listen, it, this is not tough for me because I get to talk for a moment about Gwendolyn Christie, whose career I adore for the reasons that I will list. She, of course, uh, first appeared as Brienne of Tarth in season two of Game of Thrones in 2012. And I would say that part of this is that her success comes with a high level of difficulty because her character lasted all the way to the end of season eight. And honestly, if you look at that list of folks we dismissed, it's a lot of folks that made it to the end. And in this debate, we're going to also talk about a lot of folks that didn't have to be in season eight of Game of Thrones and may have been a good thing for their career, that they got out early and avoided the... The cliff. I guess we could call season eight where it goes off the cliff. Yeah, <laughs> but Gwendolyn Christie and Brienne survived all the way to the end, and she has immediately become a franchise darling. Yeah, she's in Star Wars, a prominent Star Wars role, not just in the background like Thomas brody Sangster. Wow. Uh, she's in the. She did. A, she did a Hunger Games. She played Lucifer in the Sandman, which is a fun role. She was awesome in Wednesday. Uh, She also makes incredible choices for indie projects. This is like the Robert Pattinson rule, where it's like, are you making really interesting indie choices? She's been in two Peter Strickland movies, In Fabric and Flux Gourmet, which are like really lush, erotic thrillers uh, slash horror movies. And I love that uh, between her and Elizabeth Debicki, they are ushering in a great new era of letting women be tall on screen, which I think is very important for us culturally. And uh, shout out to listener Matthew who wrote in with the with Gwendolyn, who also noted that she was in Jane Campion's Top of the Lake. She was in The Personal History of David Copperfield, and she was uh, in in Midsummer Night's Dream, or she's about to be at the National Theatre. I don't know. I'm not a big she theater. Was. But she was. Yeah. That was
2: a, that was a couple of years ago. She played. Titania, Queen of the Fairies. Yeah,
0: so I love it when she gets cast as a queen. Um, And (laughs) she's going to be in season two of Severance, which was one of the big smash hits of of 2022. So not only is Gwendolyn Christie... I
2: don't think I knew that. That's so exciting. I learned that
0: this morning as well. I was like, all right, fine, fun. Um, So yeah, not only is she having a great career, but much more to come from Gwendolyn Christie. And she is my pick.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I love that. And she bypassed uh, Rise of Skywalker in her Star Wars
0: um, career, which is smart. Yeah, I mean, she's another one that went to Star Wars and they put a helmet on her. But I still think it worked out pretty well for for, for Gwendolyn Christie in Star Wars.
1: You got a Game of Thrones character, put a shiny helmet on them. It'll be great. <laughs> It'll be much better than Kira. Oh, all right. Sorry. Uh, Joanna since you beat executive decision, which had a ridiculously low showing, you get to go next. <laughs>
2: um, well, it felt silly to have this debate and not talk about the man who brought us here today, one Mr. Pedro Pascal, uh who was a, you know, a, a darling of this podcast for years and years and years, even when he was out there in the hinterlands not like doing much. Um, he did do Narcos, which is a show that people watched, but I didn't watch, so it felt like he wasn't doing anything for a little while. Um and then he was making some poor franchise decisions, like showing up in a Kingsman sequel. Uh oh, that he was wasn't kind of great. fun in that
0: one. Not a good movie, he was, but he was fun. Yeah, he had he had He was
2: doing lasso tricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah pretty great. Tricks. Um and uh but like short lived and and not as good as I wanted it to be. And then uh Wonder Woman 1984. Let's just let's just put those aside. And focus instead on the fact that he will have two simultaneously airing massive shows come March 1st when the Mandalorian premieres. Mandalorian and Last of Us like running at the same time, huge. He was also just absolutely freaking incredible in the unbearable weight of massive talent opposite (laughs) Nicholas Cage (laughs) last year. He was so good in that. I don't want to talk about the bubble, so we won't. I Um, mean, you you should mention (laughs) that he was in the bubble. He was in the bubble. Sure. A lot of people I don't made talk that about mistake. It. <laughs> but I mean, you know, Pedro, like, we're going to talk about other people holding down franchises and, and they are worth considering, but I don't know. Pedro's just rising up the ranks. Plus, any interview he does, plus any interview he does with Oscar Isaac, bonus, <laughs> double, Double space daddy. I mean, it's just, it's a it's a great time to be a Peter Pascal fan. So I remember when Pedro Pascal was cast as Ober Martel. and like those of us who read the books like knew Oberon was going to be like kind of a big deal. So before that season started, I started following him on Twitter. And at that time, I had more followers on Twitter than <laughs> Peter Pascal. <laughs> <laughs> that did not last longer than like a week, but like for a week there... I was like, oh, I have graced Pedro Pascal with my patronage. And then it was just sort of like, (laughs) bye. (laughs) Rockets to the top. All right. Anyway.
1: Uh, I wish I could have uh, gotten on my choice uh, earlier, but I was not somebody that watched uh, Stargate Atlantis. Uh, Nor the (laughs) reboot movie. Nor Baywatch. (laughs) Nor Baywatch. No, the reboot movie Conan the Barbarian. Uh, But I am taking somebody that has uh, had a great career post-Game of Thrones on television and in franchise history because he got to get out of there pretty fast, much like my House of the Dragon pick. Sometimes all you need is a little Game of Thrones boost and you don't have to stick around to the end. I'm talking about Jason Momoa. He is Aquaman. Just movie-wise, that's what we're really looking at in terms of his post-career, but he's made the most of it. Not only was he in... Uh, Batman v Superman, uh, the first Justice League, or the first cut of Justice League. Uh, Aquaman, the Lego Movie 2, the second part where he also plays Aquaman. He (laughs) was in Zack Snyder's (laughs) Justice League, the second cut of Justice League, as Aquaman. And has Aquaman the Lost Kingdom in the can outlasting most of the Snyderverse. Uh, he was also got a co-story writer uh credit on Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom. So oh. he is
0: <laughs> That was a hell of a meeting.
1: Yeah. He is uh <laughs> taking more power uh over his Aquaman role as the DC universe shifts. I also hear he's the person uh, that got Ben Affleck to cameo in Aquaman and Lost Kingdom. Who knows if that cameo is going to make it to the movie? <laughs> mm. But at one point, that uh, team-up was possible. Uh, he's also done a bunch of uh, television uh, since. Uh, I think really notably is C, which is one of the Apple Plus launching shows. Um, and then he also did, you know, because he got to spread the Aquaman around, uh, he did an uncredited can- uh, cameo in Peacemaker. Uh, another DC show, but uh, putting him uh, close with James Gunn. So maybe Aquaman survives uh, the DC shuffle. But don't worry, if Aquaman doesn't survive, he has already locked down a role in both Fast 10 and Fast and Furious 11 uh, to make sure that he uh, keeps his franchise uh, afloat. And you might recognize him as the wonderfully named Duncan Idaho in <laughs> Dune.
0: Where he has uh, boarded another space franchise. Where he'll be starring alongside the Elvis voice.
2: Remember that scene when he's like, the Elvis voice. Remember (laughs) that scene when he's wearing just like a silky white shirt and he like comes up and just fights a bunch of people? Mm -hmm. Duncan know. what a gemstone. I'm a big fan, Duncan know.
0: I hope the whole second movie is just about him.
1: Yeah, we also learned that if all those franchises weren't enough for you, we learned uh, last year that he's apparently going to be the star of whatever the Minecraft movie is when it actually comes out. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, I would say if I have to bet between Minecraft and the Hunger Games prequel series, it's hard for me to guess uh, which was going to be more successful. But just in case he needed another thing uh, to tack on there, he will be the face of Minecraft uh, coming up. But, I also think he's just been uh like an excellent dude who has been a good you know talk show guest. He's been uh, working with different charities about the recyclability of aluminum to phase out uh, like uh plastic bottles. In terms of managing his career, he still seems to be on the upward trajectory that Caldrogo set him on uh without having to uh, coast or fall. But again, we might get all of this night havers pulled out from under him even though he's appeared like four times as the <laughs> character
2: but he's like he, between him and, it's like between him and uh Zach levi are like the two people who like could
1: survive the the gunning you know what i mean uh, i mean also just the power that he is aquaman like aquaman it's it's not quite a Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, but it's somewhat analogous. It's like a character that nobody took seriously. Jason Momoa has now insisted you take him seriously. And now when I pick Aquaman in Fortnite, it looks like Jason Momoa. It doesn't look like some white dude in a yellow bodysuit. So I think we've kind of <laughs> won the Aquaman <laughs> battle.
2: Aryan poster child. <laughs> Aquaman.
1: Does he talk to fish? Not yet that we can tell, but you know, we still have one more Aquaman movie coming out. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Those are your host picks. Neil with Gwendolyn Christie, Joanna with Pedro Pascal, and myself, With Jason Momoa, we still have one spot open that we need to decide which listener submission is going to fill that slot. Neil, who have you picked uh, to head into the listener debate?
0: Well, Dave, there's a theme with my picks, and it's it's tall blondes. (laughs) (laughs) And my choice comes from our listener, Sophia, who writes in the following. Hannah Waddingham has to be my pick. She was in thrones for only eight episodes, but her character was part of one of the most memorable sequences ever, with one of the most quoted lines the show has ever produced. My friends and I still yell shame at each other. (laughs) Her character went up against the show's villain and made such impact, people hated Unella more than Cersei. After that, she went on to do Sex Education, a show that, even though it uh, does not win a lot of awards uh, and has been nominated for some BAFTAs, gets a lot of love from critics and audiences and uh, me and Neil, personally, love that show. And and Joanna as well. Yeah, it's a great show. Uh, but then Ted Lasso with Rebecca and her delusive, in, delusive introduction as a cold-hearted bitch, she quickly became one of the best parts of the show as she grew into the warm, bright person, trying her best to heal from the harm her horrible ex-husband had done. We all root for Rebecca and Hannah obviously nails it absolutely nails it navigating between the comedy and the drama and the layers in between to underline my point 2021 Emmy award winner 2021 and 22 critics choice award winner and SAG award winner this is not a diss but many of the actors on on the thrones cast left the show and got to play award-winning roles but she left a hit show as a secondary character and went on to be the main character on another award sweeping hit show and if that's not progressing into success, then I don't know what is. Sophia, you make an excellent case for Hannah Waddingham, star of Ted Lazo. Don't don't tell Jason Sudeikis we said that.
2: Star <laughs> of um that one scene in Willow.
1: <laughs> that's right,
0: she's star in Willow. Star of I mean, that
1: one scene in Willow.
2: <laughs> she was really good in that one scene in Willow, and I was like, why isn't this the show? Sure, honestly. Well,
0: and the question is, do you pref- if you, if you were a post game of thrones cast member would you prefer to have dip your toe in and out of franchises uh to make you know get a nice little payday and not have to carry aquaman for several years or do you (laughs) want to be the one who has to carry aquaman that's one of the essential questions at work here uh so there you go hannah waddingham entered into the listener debate
1: love it joanna who have you picked
2: Hannah's a great pick. Um, I am gonna go with Jamie. We haven't talked about Jamie Lannister, by the way. Nikolai, where what are you up to? We don't know. You're not on our list. Okay. Isn't <laughs> he doing like a travel
0: show? I don't know. He's probably on a motorcycle somewhere like you in. And-
2: but <laughs> but our listener, Jamie, whom maybe this listener, Jamie, is actually Nikolai Costa Waldo. So let's just pretend that Nikolai <laughs> wrote in to nominate. <laughs> <laughs> i write to you today regarding one of my personal favorites i think he's a fantastic actor but also he's just so very very pretty <laughs> i didn't pick this email by the way someone <laughs> picked it for me <laughs> i'm speaking of the lovely and talented richard madden richard madden exploded onto the scene with game of thrones as rob stark did a wonderful job then was brutally murdered in one of the show's most memorable and important moments promptly left the show his early departure at the height of Thrones' power meant he had to ride that wave of popularity without being tarnished by the show's unfortunate conclusion, as was the case of some of his contemporaries on the show. He particularly stands out on a rewatch as an absolute star in the making. Immediately after leaving the show, he starred in such projects as a secretly very good 2015 Cinderella as Prince Kit opposite Lily James. I agree that's it's a it's a surprisingly good Disney uh, live action. Uh, this is Joanna talking. Okay, uh, Medici. The bodyguard, for which he won a Golden Globe, and like his, I think his ass was trending on Twitter uh, because of that show. Sure. Uh, Rocket Man, nineteen seventeen, a, a title of a film I have known all day and never gotten wrong in conversation <laughs> with David <laughs> Neal. And The Eternals, admittedly a bad movie, but still, not only has he had a pretty great run of projects, especially between two thousand fifteen and two thousand nineteen, but I feel like that success was a direct result of his performance on Game of Thrones, and that's true. And I want to say, this is me, Joanna, editorializing to say that um, if you haven't seen Rocket Man, one of my all time, like, fuck Elvis and fuck (laughs) Bohemian Rhapsody. (laughs) Like, fuck those movies. Fuck the idea that those actors deserved Oscars and Taron Egerton didn't. Rocket Man, the Elton John uh, musical biopic, is so good. And Richard Madden, A, sings... B while wearing the world's tiniest kimono, so if that is what you have been looking for in your life. It exists in the film Rocket Man. So yeah, stumping for Richard Madden. I will say the Eternals. That's a little knock for a guy who really was on like a, a, a like a steep upwards trajectory. The Bodyguard was a massive hit in the UK, and as um, this listener mentioned, he you know Richard Madden won a Golden Globe. I mean halloween foreign press association what does that mean but like you know he won a golden globe i'm not going to take that away from him and then yeah and then he did the eternals and that was really supposed to be something for him but i will say yes richard madden's success has a lot to do with game of thrones obviously but it also has to do with whoever it was that told him to let his natural gray streak just grow out and also to start blow drying his hair up when he started doing that the power hair everything changed for my guy. Sure. Sure. He,
0: he entered uh, a zone that might be like pre space daddy zone. Yes. So like there's a space 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 daddy Daddy. role for Richard Madden somewhere.
2: I think when they do the Kanja club (laughs) spinoff from (laughs) (laughs) the force awakens, it's like, Tell that to catch a club. It's good. They're going to recast that guy as Richard Madden. Sure. And uh, it's going to be great.
1: I love that. for him. <laughs> Dave, who are you picking? Uh, I'm going at listener Jordan, who uh, did something that we do a lot on the show, which is sort of ignored the rules. Here we go. I come with you today <laughs> with a submission for who had the best career post Thrones debate, but with a slight amendment to the prom. Sophie Turner is winning at life. She's had, yes, several notable roles since, including her work as Jean Grey in the X-Men Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix. Side note, were these good? Honestly, don't remember. That was <laughs> jo- that was Jordan. Uh, I do remember they weren't. And in addition to cashing those sweet Fox X-Men checks, she went ahead and married everyone's favorite heartthrob, Joe Jonas. Now, normally I'd bristle at chalking a talented woman's existence up to who she married, and I admit this isn't the most feminist take I've ever had. But hey, I love love, and Sophie and Joe love breaking the internet uh, and each other, one would assume. Ooh, steaming. It cannot be overstated. <laughs> How <not> much joy.
0: <laughs> Saucy.
1: Yeah. Cannot be overstated how much joy it brought me to hear a new Taylor Swift song about Joe Jonas from when they were 16 years old and have Sophie out here on the Instagram like, yeah, it's pretty good though. Or the time they went as Morticia and Gomez Adams for Halloween. Or that time she destroyed the Jonas Brothers roast with references to fingers and purity rings. Listen, she seems to be having a real great time. And when I started to think about this prompt, I realized it's kind of bleak for a lot of these actors work-wise. At least Sophie's having a ball. All hail the Queen in the North and winner of life. Sophie Turner. (laughs)
2: I completely agree with this. Like, I considered picking Sophie Turner a lot having to do with, like, her presence on social media. Like, she, when she cameos in a Joe Jonas TikTok, it's, like, it's always incredible stuff. But also, I should say, I mean, she was good in The Staircase, an HBO series I watched all of. And uh, she shows up briefly in uh, Do Revenge, the um, Heathers-esque Teen, uh Netflix film and she's um she's got a small supporting role on that she's amazing she's really really fun in it so I'm like oh Sophie do more of this shit like um as like a mean girl screening screaming in rehab like yes do that Sophie I support you so um you know she's doing some things um in addition to being Mrs. Joe Jonas but she is very good at being Mrs. Joe Jonas as well that is true.
1: Oh yeah well I wanted to set it up uh, because I do agree with everything uh, that Jordan wrote in with. But ha- I do think if we're going to start narrowing it down, that's not a career, that's just being. And if like <laughs> we if we didn't let Jack Leeson in, I don't think we could let Sophie Turner in for just like succeeding at having an actual life outside of Game of Thrones. Uh, I think that that's a different prompt. So Jordan, love it, but I'm going to withdraw that from our possible listener's position, which leads us with Hannah Waddingham and
0: Richard Madden. Two award winners.
2: Listen, listen, were it not for the Eternals, I would stump harder for Richard Madden, but like that's a real setback for my guy. And he only has the weirdos at the Hollywood Foreign Press Association awarding <laughs> him with things, whereas <laughs> Hannah wanting him as a whole shelf. So um, I think it should probably be Hannah. Mm-hmm.
0: I
1: have no objection to that. I
0: mean, yeah. listen, I, I picked her for a reason. She's awesome. And, and maybe one of the highest batting averages in her post-Thrones career, where it's like there aren't very many duds in, in Hannah Waddington's IMDb list.
1: Carlos also votes for Hannah. So that's it. It is unanimous. Our final poll is going to be Jason Momoa, Pedro Pascal, Gwendolyn Christie, Hannah Waddingham, uh, dudes and tall blonde woman. I'm loving this poll. Nope. I hope I don't <laughs> can, can split the tall blonde win? vote. <laughs> yeah, there's gonna be a tall blonde split and then like a uh be be my be my daddy uh split. Yeah. It's gonna <laughs> be, it's gonna the, be great. the
0: other one is like who's your favorite Instagram follow, Jason Momoa or Pedro Pascal? I don't think I could solve that one it's for anyone. It's Jason. No, it's Jason. No, Pedro's good. He's really good on Insta. Anyway.
2: I think I think someone does Pedro Pascal's Insta, whereas I think Jason does his own insta. Oh, that's all right. what I think is true.
0: Well, oh I, I that would make me lean toward Jason. I, res- I respect yeah. hustling on your own.
1: Well, you guys are going to get to decide the winner. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith in you after how you treated executive decision really <laughs> dirty, but maybe you could make up for it this week. You could find our poll for the best post-Game of Thrones career on the TheRinger.com, at Ringer on Twitter, and in the Spotify app where you find a Trial by Content. You choose the winner, and we will announce it next week where we will be debating an entirely different topic and in February, we'll be kicking off our first Trial Royale. Neil, let people know how they can contribute to these episodes.
0: Well, yeah, you. Uh, for next week, we are discussing Worst Movie Twists, which is a deliciously vague, wide-open category that you can pick sort of any story twist you want from any movie. I've seen some really creative ones so far. Uh, so, yeah, Worst Movie twist. Because M Night Shyamalan has some good stu- has some new stuff coming out, and we're not sure if it's good yet. We'll find out. Um, <laughs> we <don't> find out. <laughs> and then, as Dave mentioned in February, we're beginning our trial royale. I always hate to disagree with a, another and significantly more famous Neil, but The Last of Us is does have zombies, <laughs> and uh, we will be debating the best zombie movie ever. It's going to be a multi-week affair. So submit your picks by January 31st to get uh, your picks into that debate. And of course, all of this can be done by emailing content at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, worst movie twist, best zombie movie ever. Those are your assignments. And uh, as always, send us your ideas for future trials. We got all kinds of those this week as well. It's, it's been a great couple of weeks for listeners sending us emails.
1: And it's going to be a fantastic couple of weeks for our listeners and Joanna to devour all the mushrooms in revenge <laughs> this episode is produced by Carlos Chiriboga.